0: I'm standing in the grocery store, like picking up cheese in the cheese section. And like this negative voice that just plagued me my whole life rises up again. And it's, oh, you, you piece of shit. I literally started screaming in the middle of a grocery store. Shut the fuck up. You will not touch <laughs> me that way. <laughs> you know? And that's what I had to do for several years to quiet that voice down. But quiet down it did. It did, and I very rarely, if ever, hear from it anymore.
1: In today's episode, I chat with my very good friend, Aaron Tyler, who's the creative director at Scribe Media and has designed book covers for Ryan Holiday, David Goggins, James Altucher, and many more. She's also one of the nicest people I know in the whole world, but she had a secret. She had a very challenging childhood and upbringing that's sad and also extremely relatable. She wrote a book about it called The Bad One. I read it, and wow, it is dark, interesting, and also helpful. This is a real powerful and uplifting episode of loving yourself, healing post-trauma, and a smile. Enjoy the episode, plus a bunch of ear nuggets along the way. Before we dive in, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash okdork. I am giving away my Tesla. Yes, no matter where you are in the world or planet, you can win my Tesla. Make sure you're subscribed at youtube.com slash okdork to enter. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Daniel Parchment. He left a review saying, great podcast. Every episode I listen to, I always leave with different perspective and actionable things I can implement in my life or business. Hell yeah, man. That's exactly what we're trying to do here. I appreciate you and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. If you want a shout out in a future episode, leave a review anywhere online. I check every single one of them. The two things that came to mind as I read your book, and it's The Bad Ones, I believe is what the final name is. Yeah. The Bad, the one. bad one. Two things came to mind with the story. One We have no clue what other people are really going through. No. It kind of blew my mind about how little we know. And we meet someone and we're like, oh, you or uh, you see someone's post or you talk to someone in person or you talk to your cashier and the depth or the life like someone said to me today, they're like, oh, nice video. I'm like, yeah, it just took me 30 years to live it and then five hours to make a video. But it's like you don't know all the stories behind these people. So I think that was amazing about you where I knew a little bit and we can share some of the stories or some of the stories that didn't make it to the book. And then the second part that I thought was interesting, and this is not as an insult, but it might sound insulting, but it's not. Why should people care?
0: That's a good question. You know, I mean, I think we all have to pay attention to that anytime we endeavor to publish. Oh, what's the point otherwise? And I really struggled with that. You know, for many, many years, I was very much like, why? Why? You know, I see all these people out there and they're they're trying to get their book published and, and it's all about validating intention and living a sort of public persona, you know i mean to a certain extent i think that, that can be really fun for people. But i think um you know you have to think about what kind of value are you offering each time you publish. And i really i really wish more of my authors would think about that before they, you know, went down this road of of publishing, you know, what what are you trying to do, who are you trying to help? And it became a thing where I decided I was not going to publish because I don't know if you know this, but I had a very, very popular blog a long, long time ago. And I would basically just write batch of crazy things on the internet.
1: Huh? What was your blog called?
0: It was called The Bunny Blog, the world's craziest blog. And it was like this dark, surreal kind of, and I think it was like a blog spot blog where I would just post all this, like, oh my God, I hate myself and I don't know why. And that was before I started doing all my therapy where I kind of like realized. Oh, I grew up in a family of mentally ill people, and they were projecting a mental illness onto me so that they could work things out. And really, there's actually not much wrong with me. I'm really boring, actually. But, you know, I'm still just trying to, like, dust myself off and, and get rid of all this dirt that's on me. You know, these projections of other people who are so crucial and so huge in my development. And so I had this blog, and and people said, well, you have to publish for years and years and years, but I could never really sort of figure out what the fuck was wrong with me, so I never did. And it wasn't until just recently when I started seeing parental narcissism, like on a, a just an epic scale, in Texas, and it was it was particularly within Texas sports, like parents just absolutely living through their children and destroying their children's egos just to work out their own issues, and I was like oh, that sucks. How do they not know? How do they not know? Well, most people don't know about narcissism. Most people don't know about how narcissistic parents fuck up their kids. Most people don't know about, you know, what a scapegoat kid, what it is and what a golden child is. I mean, there's subreddits you can go to, but there's not really cohesive stories. It tends to be something that is extremely kind of overlooked because it's it's a very painful subject for parents. But I have no interest in pleasing parents with this book. You know I mean? If you pick it up, you read it and you read the stories and you go, oh, I'm that parent and you decide to change how you parent. That's wonderful, but that's probably not going to happen. You know, this is for that kid that's sitting around going, I feel terrible inside. Nothing I do is right. I'm a burden. I'm bad. Maybe I'll just take a whole bunch of drugs today or get really drunk or cut myself or hurt myself or whatever. So essentially that was, that was my reasoning in publishing.
1: There's so much there. I mean, I think that's true for everyone listening, watching, wherever it is in the world where everyone has that and, you know, different types of stuff. So it's, I love that you have a purpose, a calling for what you wanted to put that out there. I mean, it took you years to probably do it, but maybe in the abbreviated version, you know, how were you able to work through that stuff so that you could feel more confident and better in yourself?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of the second half of the book. The second half of the book is very much, okay, well, how? You figure it out. Figuring out is all well and good but what do you do now? Right. Um, and that's where creativity comes in. That's where you're just getting weird, really good talk therapy, radical self-care. You got to do the yoga. You got to go to the gym. You got to get a dog for someone who, uh, grew up in a very dysfunctional family with parents who just didn't care about them. Uh, owning a dog is like such a healing experience. It's crazy beneficial to your soul. You got to be your own parent. It's actually pretty exhausting. You have to be your own parent every day because you were never parented. And then the expectation was made that you would parent your narcissistic parent at the same time that you were trying to grow up and deal with your own You know, I mean, so that demand was placed upon you. You parented someone else. No one parented you. Now you have to parent yourself long after you (laughs) probably needed some serious parenting. And that's what you have to do. You have to be your your advocate and, and go to war with any kind of negative voices, any kind of internalized negativity, you got to go to straight war with that and beat that down. I mean, there's a story um, in the book about how I'm standing in the grocery store, like picking up cheese in the cheese section. And like this negative voice that just plagued me my whole life rises up again. And it's, oh, you, you piece of shit. I literally started screaming in the middle of a grocery store. Shut up. God, you will not talk <laughs> to me that way, <laughs> you know? And that's what I had to do for several years to quiet that voice down. But quiet down, it did. It did. And I very rarely, if ever, hear from it anymore. You know, you, you absolutely can replace that kind of that negativity in you with positive things and, and just move forward.
1: With that being said, what, what things did you observe that help, started helping you believe more in yourself and, and like yourself more?
0: This is going to sound very silly, but lifting weights was huge. I joined a strongman gym that I still go to. Obviously, we're shut down because of COVID, but it's an all-female program. And I started lifting really, really, really heavy every day. Um, I think there is probably... If you are experiencing symptoms of depression, I think there's nothing more powerful for your brain than to lift extremely, extremely heavy weights. Um, and Around great women who are going to be supportive too, or great men or whatever, you know, friends that are going to be supportive and helpful and have your back and cheer for you and root for you. Paleo was huge. Paleo changes your brain. It changes your brain and change your brain. You change everything about yourself. Really, really good therapy. I had probably the world's worst therapist while I was trying to go through this. I don't know if you've gotten to that part of the book yet, but yeah, she was toxic and, uh, and pretty awful. But it was really great because it was a recreation of my early childhood relationships, my um, relationship with my mother specifically. And so uh, experiencing that recreation again was kind of like going through that bad relationship with that boyfriend or girlfriend that you know was bad for you. And you're like, why am I dating this person? And you kind of come to the realization that it's because of something that went on when you were very, very young, you know, that kind of power dynamic and so it was really really enlightening me to have that bad therapist but getting a good therapist is crucial too whatever the elephant in the room is you got to talk about it you got to talk about it with everybody in your life and you have to admit everything you're feeling with no judgment that's a huge one lift the judgment stop judging yourself don't judge yourself you need to be weird crazy whatever you need to cry you need to lay in bed for a day do it get weird I mean, and I mean deeply, deeply, and accept yourself. Scream in the cheese aisle.
1: Scream in the cheese aisle. I like it.
0: Yeah, do that. Uh, Practice writing every day. I do nothing before I write every single day. I wake up and I write. I love it. I have a tendency to put off my own needs and my own feelings and realizations and things like that, and unless I'm doing a writing practice every day, it's very, very easy for me to make myself about somebody else and be empathic to the point where other people's needs supersede mine so i take that 20 30 minutes it's literally just 20 30 minutes it's just like here are my goals for the day and here's what i thought about yesterday and i'm getting up and i'm getting in touch with myself and i'm getting focused i'm getting pointed toward what it is that i want for the day right i don't know what i do without my kids like i've been told that being a stepmom is really hard i think it's the greatest thing i've ever done my sons are everything to me my husband too my poor husband, he always comes third. <laughs> He's always third in the mix. But uh yeah. You know, surround yourself with great people and uh you know, be on your own goddamn side. So often in life we're told, you know, to side against ourselves. Side with you, Jesus Christ, you know. Life is life is hard. Side with yourself, you know? Have your own goddamn back. One more thing. Get angry. Okay? I can't say it enough, get Angry because if you grew up in this situation, you are angry, and that anger is that spark and that spark of I matter and I matter all along. Nobody ever noticed it, but I matter. I matter now, and I'm gonna matter in the future. Get so angry, get angry.
1: And you would say that for people that felt that like they just grew up not in the household or the recognition or the life that they wanted or expected,
0: yeah, you know, I mean, I think. Uh, When we start talking about what exactly went on, we're talking about narcissistic parenting, and so we're talking about the majority of people. I believe the majority of people in America are parented by narcissistic parents or parents who struggle with narcissism.
1: What does that mean to you, just to be specific? like What is an example of that behavior?
0: Specifically, it manifests as two things. It it manifests as you're created to be a burden and something people can sort of project, the things that they don't like about themselves, onto. So, uh, that's the black sheep kid. You ever hear about the black sheep kid?
1: I can imagine.
0: Yeah. The black sheep of the family, you know, like, um, and that, that's the bad one. And that was me or, uh, a kid can be a source of good feelings about themselves. So a kid can, uh, be forced to kind of go out into the world and achieve and accomplish things and be the best at sports or be the, you know, win the beauty pageant or, uh, go to the best college or get the sports scholarship and do all of those things just so that the parent can then feel good about themselves. You know, with a narcissistic parent, you can either be a source of badness so that they, by comparison, can be better than you, or you can be a reason they're a good parent and therefore the best person. So you can either be like an an extension of them, or you can be something opposite to them, but you can't ever be a real human being with needs, wants, feelings, nothing like that. Few
1: different things I wanted to understand about that. Where I love to get angry, I love the gym, I love the dogs. I think that's actually a lot of things where it also just applies in a lot of situations. If you're not feeling great about yourself, one thing you said earlier, I wanted to just understand is when we go to school, we get a teacher, and we're this is your teacher. And how did you know that you had a you didn't have the ideal therapist? Because I've, I've recently again started going back into getting coached in therapy and. You know, one answer is if you have a few of them, you kind of start knowing what's effective. But I guess how did you know it was bad and how do you know if one is good?
0: In my case, it was quite obvious why my therapist was so bad. Like she stalked me and she she started just, she tried to force me to write a book about her. Like, I mean, real flagrant kind of behavior that you, you would know, oh, this is a really bad therapist. I would say anytime you feel like you're not being listened to, it's maybe time to move on to somebody else. Anytime you start hearing the same kind of, things from them and you know it isn't them trying to break you out of a a toxic loop like um, a good therapist in the situation that I was in where I was refusing to feel emotions I was refusing to to accept that uh, my parents weren't perfect and I wasn't the problem I went to her I I just said give me some pills because I'm crazy help me and she said, you're not crazy. You grew up in a toxic family. You need to start talking about it. And we went through a, a rigmarole of, I think, a couple of years, I think a year and a half, two years, where I went to her again and again and again. I was like, no, why are we talking about my parents again? The problem is me. I'm crazy. And she would say the same thing to me again and again and again. You grew up in a toxic situation. You need to start talking about you know the people that were around you. And so that kind of thing is, I think, positive. And I think that's good therapy. But I think when a therapist starts kind of getting into a rut with you and saying the same things over and over again, and not really sort of exploring them deeply, and just kind of like pumping out, you know, the same again and again, session after session, I think that you have a situation where you've kind of reached your limit with that person. I don't think that they're necessarily a bad therapist, but it's time to move on. I think anytime you don't feel you can trust a therapist, you need to move on. If you're like, like, you know, I don't think I can say that or I, I I don't think I can talk about this subject, you need to find somebody else. If you don't feel compelled to really open up and connect with a therapist, you need to move on. A lot of people don't understand you you really need to shop around. People just think, oh, they're all the same, they all have the same qualifications. And in order to get certified, they do have the same qualifications, but you know that doesn't mean that you're gonna connect with them. That doesn't mean that you're gonna trust them, right?
1: And I also think that different therapists help at different times like there's a different therapist for different problems. I mean, sometimes I felt that I've gone to the one that Tucker recommended for psychoanalysis. I've gone to a different one, had ones in the past. And sometimes I felt like it it created more problems than it was solving. I felt like it created, like, I have to come and think of a new problem to go talk about today, when maybe there aren't any problems, or maybe I'm not sure what's the really important problem. What's funny, though, this this has been interesting for me in that the therapist three years ago was like, hey, I don't know if you should get in this relationship. The way he framed it was really, really interesting. He said, Noah, do you want to be on stage or do you want to be in the audience? I want to be on stage. He's like, you need to lean in then. You need to go in. If you're in the audience, you'd be in the audience. But if you want to be on that stage, you got to lean into it. And it's funny, three years later, now I'm doing both of those things. I'm single and I'm going on stage. It's not going on stage, but I'm leaning into this. the challenges. I guess I wasn't ready to hear it at that time or wasn't open to it.
0: I mean, I think that's a really it's a good example of really good therapy, right?
1: It's funny, we have this course, Monthly 1K, for people starting businesses. And a lot of people avoid doing the stuff I recommend. And they're like, yeah, but I did it this other way. And I'm like, that's exactly why you're not getting what you want. And so I'm able to help in in the business sense, but in my personal, it's it's not the easy stuff. Because that generally we would have done already. And if we get the results we want, that's fine. But we're probably not. And generally as well, the stuff that we work hard on, the stuff that challenges us makes us better. And we feel more proud when we accomplish it.
0: Yeah, you got to I, I think especially in therapy, it should feel uncomfortable. It should kind of hurt a little bit.
1: What stuff was like uh, striking for you in therapy? What stuff stung?
0: For me, it was almost like, you know, that scene in The Usual Suspects when the cup falls and he realizes it was just all made up. <laughs> <And> <laughs> reality is not reality. It, was, it, it went that deep. It was like my whole life had been flipped over and you know, this weird mask had been ripped away. And I was like, Oh, sh- this is really what happened. So for me, I mean, therapy was a trip. Therapy was crazy. And my only kind of understanding of what my life really was, was in these weird, dark feelings that I would repress This like crying spurts. Like, I always felt it, but I never accepted it mentally. And I just pressed it down. And then I would have like, you know, horrific nightmares all the time of like being consumed and murdered and ripped apart and all of that. And so, you know, I in a dream state and in an emotional state, I was definitely living my reality, but then mentally I wasn't able to accept it. And then in therapy, you know, I'll just, it all just lit came off the pot and then just my whole world got flipped upside down. I like divorced my family, wouldn't speak to them for 3-4 years. I said that's it, you know, if you're going to make me hate myself, cool. You go your way, I'll go mine. Um, you know, best of luck to you. I'm done and eventually yeah we made up and uh, things are cordial but um, you know the second things aren't cordial the second they try to come between me and myself and and compromise my relationship with myself you know we're going to go back to that of no contact.
1: How do you feel about them reading the book because it's a lot of stories that make them not look good and make them maybe not even recognize how they were behaving at the time and maybe they did know it and they're intentionally but unintentionally, maybe they're like, "Hey, we were doing our best, and we we're going through some of our own stuff."
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't think they'll ever accept it as true. I think they have their truth, and I have mine, and just that's how it's always going to be. I think they think I'm, I'm literally just crazy. I don't know. I think I spent entirely too much time thinking about what they think.
1: Mm, I think all of us do, not about your parents specifically, but about all of our parents and society and our coworkers and our significant others and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm really exploring a lot of that. I think that the more that you can bring that inside and get really good understanding of that, it's really strong.
0: Yeah, but you have a great relationship with your mom, don't you?
1: Yeah, my mom's legit. You know, we all have different things that we've picked up. I think where I've tried to really go with it is what are the things I really admire and I love that I can use and benefit from? And what are the things that I don't that I can, I can just learn from? And I'm still working through some of that. It's like, they loved me too much. They are always so supportive. I, I wish they would have you know said you sucked more. My mom's like, My mom did this thing a few weeks ago. I still think it was so funny. She calls me. She's like, Noah, objectively, you are the best guy on earth. And like you were, you know, you and your brother, whatever my brother said. She's like, you're objectively like the most best bachelor ever. And I was like, mom, that is literally the definition of subjective. (laughs) But that's, you know, that, that, you know, and that level of belief in me has given me confidence to do things. And I think it's also given me more confidence to do even more. And take some risks. And even now, I'm like, all right, exploring some of these things. And I do feel very lucky to have that. And so, you know, lately I was even thinking more like, what happens when that's gone and I have to do it without her? Like, that seems pretty f- gnarly. And, and so now I'm, I'm going to go spend more time with them and, and soak it up. And I've recorded, you know, interviews with her. I'll probably try to record more. And, you know, also then ultimately do things where I jump off the ledge and I fly my own, you know, fly my own way.
0: Yeah. You know, you can always tell when a, a guy has a great mom.
1: Oh, really? How can you tell?
0: Because you like women. You have a lot of female friends. And you're very nice to them. And you're very confident. And then also, you you know, you told me stories about how awesome your mom was.
1: She's quirky. She's a quirky one. She had just a lot of belief. She still does. And I think that gives me strength. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's a great mom. I was talking to Charlie earlier today about stories and our parents' stories. And like they have their stories. And it's also accepting them for who they are. Like my mom is not capable of hearing feedback and other things. And part of it's like, I'm, you know, you should do this. It's like, she should be herself too. And she's got her own life. We kind of forget that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. It'd be interesting to have that issue. (laughs) But I think like seeing your parents as people is a really beautiful phase that you get to in life when you're like, oh, well, she's just a, she's just a person. She has her lenses and she has her filters and she has, her motivations and um, we all have our faults and, and all of that. That's really nice getting to that phase where they're not supposed to be superheroes or uh, infallible or, or anything like that. That's just, that's nice when you can just meet them as people.
1: I was high, like, this is probably like 10 years ago. Actually, 15 years ago, I was high and we were in Kauai at the Princeville Resort and we went for a hike. And my mom is very scared hiking, which is a whole nother story. But we're hiking and... My mom, got, she got scared hiking. She didn't want to continue. And my stepdad, Norm, and I was like, yo, can I keep going? They're like, yeah, you can finish the hike because there's a waterfall at the end. There's always a waterfall in Hawaii. <laughs> That's true. Anyways, we go keep going hiking. This couple's like, you want to come with us? I'm like, sure. So I go with this couple and we go to the waterfall. It's dope. And they're like, you want to smoke a joint? I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Smoke the joint, come see my parents. And I was high and they both looked like little kids to me. And that was the first time I ever saw, I think I ever really saw them. You know, what I used to think when I thought of that story for myself, I never shared it, was how I just th- saw them as kids. But I think what I'm really saying is I really saw them as people. And maybe that is where we started transitioning to the next level of our relationship. I was like, oh, wow, you're a little girl at one point and you were a, a boy, a young boy at some point. One thing I, I still wonder is like, when do people become men and when does a, a woman become a woman?
0: I think sometimes people never become men or never become women, to be honest with you. Yeah. I think there's a lot of. They're just, their development is very arrested. And I don't think it's everybody's karma to grow up in this life. I, I don't know what you believe, people believe reincarnation or whatever, but I don't think it's everybody's karma to stare down their demons. Some people, they just like shutting that side of themselves down and just cruising and, and that's okay. You know, you can't judge.
1: I think I'm becoming a man now, like a real man. Yeah. 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 And then like a way I like to me, the man, a man is responsible and I think there's different facets of being, like in college you get a degree and then it's like, oh, you're certified degreed, but there's not like a man degree. And I was thinking of it like a tweet or I was thinking about a man is, right? Or a woman is. How would you finish that? That's it. I'm curious, your thought. a woman is?
0: Wow, that's a really great question. You know, I, th- I think it's probably you're a woman when you can accept yourself and you can accept others and you can forgive. You can see them without judging them and you can see yourself and not judge yourself acceptance I think is, is becoming a woman.
1: Accepting yourself. It's probably the same for a man.
0: So I'm like 43 and I've been a woman, I guess for three years, then huh? maybe two.
1: <laughs> I think you're not, you're not alone.
0: That's a great question.
1: Yeah. I was at a ayahuasca retreat two years ago and one of the nights I was like, Oh, I'm a man now. <laughs> I got my man card, try to get, use it on credit. But that moment I felt like a man, was that a superficial feeling or was that, was that actual? That's kind of the hard part with, you know, therapy sometimes or even ayahuasca or these different ways of understanding ourselves or learning about ourselves and improving ourselves is, you know, is this a superficial thing? Is this a substantial thing? Is this, am I connecting two dots that didn't need to be connected? Or if I just connecting them helps me understand something that's not real. I think the ayahuasca, you know, I've, I've put it out there. And for me, it was there at the time I needed it. You know, my buddy said this to me, and I think it's interesting. If we want feedback, just go to the people that we trust or that people we're impressed with and ask for The things we want to improve on and most times they will tell you this if they're your real friends and if they're impressive They'll tell you the things to improve on my friend adam said this to me and I think this is probably the truth for ayahuasca my truth I was able to do something hard for myself And to take a drug and a medicine at the same time, which is it's a little bit of both Sit in the dark, which i'm a little afraid of being in the dark in a room with all these weirdos For three days in a row
0: three days
1: you do night and then wake up and you do night again and wake up. Yeah, three days in a row and push myself through that gave me confidence in the belief in myself that I can do things. I would have to say if I can summarize ayahuasca, it's that it was it's like going to Tony Robbins. I walked out of it and I put an article about it and it went popular. But I think the thing with Tony Robbins versus, you know, almost in the same vein is that if you can last Tony Robbins events for like four days, 12 hour days, it's almost in the same like if you could just last through those four days you'll be improved. And I think the other side of that coin or maybe on the same side of that coin with ayahuasca specifically is, and I thought about this recently, how much time do we ever dedicate, really dedicate to just working on ourselves? This is what I was thinking for myself. I was like, how much time am I actually sitting on my ass with a coach or with a book? Specifically though saying like, all right, I'm reading a book, but am I like really working on myself or I'm just reading this, this book that I'm gonna learn some knowledge about? And you could argue it's helping yourself, but like literally a weekend of just self. Just self, and that is fucking almost never. So I'm trying to put myself more in that place where it's just a little bit of time, like not even little, but time to all right. Let's look at you, just you, like that acceptance thing. I think that's yeah, maybe that is what what a man is, right? Because I I think where the man discussion for me has been interesting is I think I've been been manly in my financial responsibility for years now. That's never been the issue, and I think maybe I've let that mask the other sides potentially. Right? Like I have facial hair. That's what a man has versus a boy, but I didn't choose that. Yeah, man accepts himself. There's more to that. I think there's just some bullet points and and it's figuring out those bullet points for each of us.
0: You know, I mean, you mentioned what was so crucial in accepting yourself was that accepting that you wanted to be on stage. That's what you wanted. You didn't want to be in the audience. If you can't accept your needs, your wants, your desires, all of them, every single one of them, then you can't ever accept yourself. You can't ever accept anybody else either. You're going to just project, just project, project, project on everyone around you.
1: In the book is, you have all these really hard, traumatic experiences. And like, I, want, I do want to highlight them because I think some of the listeners, it motivates them to buy the book and they all should. But then you're also so damn nice. You always say honey and sweetie. And you would kind of assume the person who didn't maybe didn't get the love or the attention or the recognition in the positive ways wouldn't be that way. So I was kind of curious about that in terms of yourself versus others.
0: I figured out that at a very young age that by being empathic with my parents, I could connect with them deeply. So, I, you know, I remember being six and seven years old and really deeply considering everything that was going on inside my parents' heads. And I, I just still didn't fully understand the reality of the situation and wouldn't for many, many years. But by being really attuned to their needs, I felt connected to them. I just grew into a person who really loves people. Like, I mean, I don't love everybody, but, <laughs> you know, um, if I meet you and I like you, uh, you're my person. I'm going to be loyal. and. Uh, I'm going to care for you. I do just deeply care about people. Like immediately after meeting them, it's very—it's a very strange quality. But you know, it was a survival mechanism. I felt very alone, and I felt very abandoned, and I felt very on my own. But by being extremely, extremely empathic toward others, I could feel a little bit of connection.
1: And I ask that question because sometimes I don't know if I always feel like I'm the most empathetic. And I think I've gotten better at feeling and and just listening. Like I can pretend to but actually like feeling other people and stuff like that like we all do i I'm, i don't think i'm that unique in that how do you be more empathetic <laughs> how does someone all you, it's like you know the secret to empathy care
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i well i think also it's very important to have empathy and balance like i go to the other end of empathy where it becomes uh very easy for me to be all about everybody else's needs and their wants and their desires and their emotions and their feelings to you know a detriment to myself. So being in balance with your empathy, I think is really important. You don't want to go where I am, because it's a constant resetting back to like a, a normal amount of empathy, you know, but I think being in touch with yourself is being in touch with others too.
1: Damn, I like that. You know, it's funny, I think for the people out there that don't like themselves as much as they can or have issues from their upbringing, I was like, well, how long does it take to fix it? And it's like, as long as you need. But you said, you know, you said 40. I mean, that that's a pretty long time for you to finally start really accepting yourself. But at the same time, it's like better 40 than 80.
0: You just have to, you gotta do the work. What are you gonna do? Give up? You know, No, you're not gonna give up. So you're just gonna get up every day, start over and figure out what works for you.
1: Was there a moment or a story that kind of triggered that that journey to start saying, all right, I'm, I'm gonna do it for me now?
0: Yeah, um, I had begun to sort of develop a real kind of understanding of myself and a connection of myself with writing. And uh, it was becoming incredibly problematic for my parents because I wasn't really living out their story anymore. Um, I didn't want to be the villain in their story anymore. And so I kind of rewrote my own life to take control of, of the way that I felt about myself. And it didn't really have anything to do with them. And they said, well, you have to stop writing. They told me to stop writing. And I reached a rage point within where I kind of blew up on them. Uh, we were at dinner. I kind of blew up on them and I said, you know, it's right or I'm just going to f- kill myself because <laughs> I get so depressed when I don't write and I get very dysfunctional when I don't write and I drink when I don't write and I hate myself when I don't write. I'm going to die if I stop writing. And uh their response to that was, well, it's just it, it's not going to work for us. You just have to stop writing. And so uh that was my breaking point. I decided that I was going to choose myself instead of them and I took a f- 3 to 4 year break from my family. And that was excruciating. And it was difficult. But I think if I hadn't taken that break, which was incredibly cathartic, you know, I mean, that's I I didn't have anybody at that point. I had my friends and I have great friends and they were there for me. But I had no one. I had no aunts, no uncles, no cousins, no, no father, no mother, no sister, no nothing, no nothing. I cut it all off, just cut all ties and said, Okay, we're going to rebuild ourselves. And so that for me was a massive, massive breaking point. And it was, uh, you know, I started over the next day I started over and, uh, became a different person and became a person who's functional. I'm a, a wife and a mother and I, I, you know, I'm a creative director and, uh, I, you know, and now starting to actually really add value to this world, you know, whereas before i was just a drunk mess. You know, living out, you know, this weird kind of persona as this villain in somebody else's story, only because, you know, they couldn't work on their own issues. It was just a waste of a life. So it's not for everybody. And I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. For, you know, most people, I think just having some mediated conversations in therapy or something like that with their parents is probably a lot healthier. You know, just being finally getting incredibly brutally honest with them and saying, this is how you make me feel. You can probably achieve the same thing. But for me, it wasn't possible. I had to just say no. You're done.
1: I wonder if a lot of people listen to this and they're either mad at their parents or they're not liking themselves enough. But the fear of actually doing it, you know, the fear of actually facing it, is is scary. That's one thing I always thought in college. I'm like, oh, once you solve it, it all goes away, and it's like, no, that's just a harder problem.
0: Yeah, no, no. I mean, it, it definitely doesn't go away. Um, But I think every time you, maybe it's cliche to say it because everybody always says, you know, uh, courage is being afraid of something and doing it anyways because you know you have to. But um, actually doing those things will make you so, so strong, so strong inside in a place where nobody else can even reach.
1: I think about the opposite of that, where just don't do any of that. Don't challenge yourself. Just accept the parent, accept that life. And I've been really reflecting, like, what's so wrong with that life? Like, let's say you didn't do this work that you consider hard, and I think it's hard. How would life have played out? I wouldn't be here. Where do you think you'd be?
0: I'd be dead. I never thought that I would make it to third. I remember being 17 and thinking, I'm not going to make it to thirty. I've been uh, depressed since I was nine, eating disordered since twelve, doing all kinds of self-destructive behaviors. Fully, truly hated myself, and then attempted suicide at twenty. I'd be ten.
1: So, if you're willing to do the work for the people listening or watching and inspired by this, like there's two different paths. There's more than one, and I wonder a lot. Like, is it bad to just live the the standard life—the nine to five, two week vacation? And not just work-wise, but like even, you know, relationship with your parents' life, relationship with your self-life, relationship with your health life. And I think what you just said is really powerful around that. Like, yeah, you can. And, and just imagine what that's going to look like at the end and think of other ways that it could, you can take and, and how that will end up at the end and just decide which ones you want to, that sounds more appealing to you.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, I think um, living a lie is very much like being cut in half. It's very traumatic. And when uh, someone else is determining your reality for you, that's, that's what you're living. Uh, You're living a lie and you're at odds with yourself and there's no peace in that. But in terms of like living just a a normal, regular nine to five life, that's, you know, just being a mom and and working and then coming home and and doing nothing with your time. That's all I ever really wanted. I just wanted to feel normal and at peace. I wanted to just sit down and and be with my kids and, and just be normal. How did you know
1: that's what you wanted?
0: You know, I knew it when I met them that that's what i had wanted all along was to just be a great mom. Just be a great mom and live a nice life, live at peace. I think I'll always want to make art that helps people, but I don't need any more drama than that. I've had enough drama. I've had enough drama. You know, I can just uh, sort of be fine on, you know, living a normal life
1: what were some of the harder stories to share in, in the book?
0: I think it's difficult to tell any story about my mom and dad. I, I love my mom and dad. I think they're great people. They just didn't have the skills to be effective parents talking about them at all in any kind of way that wasn't glowing was excruciating for me. I hated sharing that, but I couldn't write it and not share those stories. Um, and Two hardest things to write in the book were the chapters about where I kind of tried to imagine what it was like for them as children, you know, growing up in their sort of abusive situations because of that empathy. Again, that empathy, um, I've always just ached for them and their situation and um, my relationship with them not being what they ever wanted it to be is really hard for me. So, you know, anytime I anytime I talk or write about them, it's it's very difficult. You know? And it's also it's their story, so I, I have difficulty sharing um their stories with with the outer world. That's always really hard.
1: Yeah. I mean there's some of the stories in there about college and kinda of getting it seemed like a rape. I and mean, you kinda of called it rape, but you didn't call it rape. And some of that stuff in there is, is sad and you know, Tucker mentioned as well as like sometimes writing, like I put out a book about how I got fired by Facebook and Part of it is it's his own form of therapy. And in some t- people choose to want to share that publicly, and I don't think everyone has to. But I think there's also something beautiful and inspiring that you're saying, hey, here's m- my experience that I think will help a lot of these parents as well as you know, the kids that need that too.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I think if we share those stories, I think we become very human to others who may be experiencing those same things. And I think that they become human to themselves. And I'm not afraid to, to really say anything about myself. And I think it, um, writing a blog a very long time ago um, and being very, very open about everything that I felt and everything I was experiencing really kind of um, got me out of that fear. So I'll pretty much share anything about myself at any time, really.
1: And so what helped you get out of that fear?
0: Writing a blog a long time ago, I had this, this blog where I would just write anything about myself because I think I was experiencing anxiety about just being open about who I was and what I was experiencing. And I had a lot of crazy stories I wrote on this, this blog. and. Yeah, I got over it real quick.
1: What's the craziest story, or I hate when people ask that question, but what's the, the story that comes to mind, or you think is like a signature story from the blog?
0: I write about my PMS a lot. Really, <laughs> <laughs> there's some really good PMS stories about that. Uh, I write it about being attracted to women as much as I was attracted to men. I wrote about be- getting blackout drunk and just being a crazy mess and. I wrote, uh, because I was dating Tucker at the time. We had uh, just a terrible relationship. It was an awful, awful, awful relationship. So I would write about, um, being hurt, you know, in that relationship. Um, I'd write about being in other terrible relationships that I was in, just, just anything I was going through. It was just really, it was like a messy kind of, um, just puke spot, really, where I would just say anything. It was really freeing.
1: Yeah, it feels that way when you say it. It's kind of like an outlet where you can, without people even know it's you, you're going to think through it.
0: Yeah, but you know, unfortunately, everybody did know it was me. So people are like, oh, Jesus Christ, you're that crazy person who wrote that blog." I look back and, and on it as a good thing to do. I'm glad I did that.
1: Someone said this, or I don't know if, where I heard it, but it's like almost good to, if you can look back on your old work and cringe.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's definitely cringeworthy, right?
1: Because you cringe and you're like, oh, I could be so, I'm so much better than that now. And it's like, okay, that's a good sign. It's a great sign. And the final thing I'm uh, with the book. So the bad one, what's your hope for the book? What's your dream?
0: In the very uh, last chapter, I talk about kid came to my door uh, last Halloween dressed as a devil. And it really, really bothered me to the point where I was like screaming and throwing things around the house. And I was just so upset. And, uh, I had not yet made the decision to actually publish. And I remember my husband grabbing me by the shoulders and said, you know, it's not enough to write it. You have to publish it. And, uh, that would be, that would be my goal. Maybe there's some kid out there who's getting dressed up in a devil costume and it doesn't like themselves. It doesn't know why. Doesn't think they're ever going to be worthy of anybody's love. You know, can reach that kid.
1: I'll do my part to help get that message out there. You're awesome. Thank you. You send me your, these birthday photos. like I don't, I'll, I'll post them online. So every year for my birthday. And I, honestly, like last year or two years ago, you didn't, you didn't send it. And it was kind of, I was like, what? It's not my birthday then. And I, I really do appreciate that. I really, really do. I just want to say thank you for them. I love them. They're like the boxing one. I think that was this year. There was me with a bunch of chicks. I was like, oh, this is, this is great. I love this guy. <laughs> it's like my, 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 my mom in a, in a positive way. And I love that. Where she'd always give me boxes of uh, Valentine's Day chocolate. Then one year she didn't bring it. I think I was 12 or 13. I was like, mom, where's my C's candy? Where's like the red box? Where's the heart? You know, one thing I will say that for birthdays, it's nice to have that or call people. The call or a gift and uh, that's a, it's one of the best gifts and thank you very much.
0: Well, it's fun for me too, you know.
1: I don't even know if I have your birthday in my calendar. Now I feel like a total fag. <laughs> where's your birthday? January 14th. Am I not recognizing you? See, I'm working on my empathy. That was my empathy. That was right there. 14th? 14th
0: of January.
1: All right, it's going
0: in. So are you still boxing?
1: Yeah, I have a trainer that normally comes over but with the whole Corona thing. I I stopped him coming, but I still wanted to do it. So I do jump rope and then I have an Oculus, like the goggles thing. They have boxing games in there. One of them is too intense. Like I, I get my ass knocked out and I'm like, and I don't know if it's real or not real. It's exhausting. It's, it's called um, Fight Club. Oh no, Fight Club VR. And then there's, I use another one called Box VR, which is, it's literally kind of like a workout. It's It's straight up, like there's these balls that come and you have to hit them. And then duck and block. And it's not as intense. Like when I work out with my trainer, and the weird thought is I want the ratio of time to calories to be proportional. Meaning if I'm working out for an hour, I want it to be like four to 600 calories, like a pretty good amount of, of energy exhausted. In this game, like I'll do a 30-minute workout and it's like 150. So I don't know. Maybe they're not calculating it right. But it's pretty damn good. So I've liked that. Or my buddy just sent me one called Supernatural. But I like I basically I like the idea with that I get a skill, it's fun, and then I'm also, you know, getting exercise at the same time.
0: This brings up a good point. That's actually like one of the single most beneficial things I ever did, uh, just mentally was get into fighting. Fight sports are so so incredible for you if you're if really you're anything. Yeah. Yeah. I got into Muay Thai very heavily for about six years and it was it was so great for my brain, so great for you know, just getting in touch with my anger. I feel so cleansed after I sparred.
1: Hell yeah. I'm actually, I have to go because I'm going to kickboxing. A buddy of mine has invited me. You know, maybe what you're you're saying, what I'm hearing as well is that there's things where you're in the moment and it's impossible to be elsewhere. Yeah. It's funny, this whole chat, so I prepared a whole conversation all around promoting book marketing and that's what we talked about today. (laughs) I think at the end of the day with a, a book, you could argue that a book that has, you know, I think when someone puts themselves fully in it, they fully commit and they're a little afraid of hitting that send button and I believe in, in all business, what many people do is that they, they put half in or 10% in, and I'm probably taught, even talking about myself at times, but then they want to have, they think it's a marketing problem. And it's actually not a marketing problem. It's a product problem. And, I, and your book does that. And so the marketing, you know, it's not going to s- solve itself. And, you know, there's finding the right groups to put it in and, the you know, whatever, Good Reads and all this stuff, but you have the, the product that makes the marketing a lot easier.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to live it, then you got to write it and uh, hopefully it'll speak for itself.
1: Okay. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. That's a wrap. I hope you loved the episode. If you did, go check out Aaron's book, The Bad One on Amazon. Or if you're interested in writing a book, go to Scribe Media, check her company out. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go do some coloring together. (laughs) And before you go, tweet at me at Noah Kagan and let me know what you thought of this episode. And if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to AppSumo.com. It's a free newsletter. They are the number one site online for software deals. So if you, yes, you are starting or growing your online business, I highly recommend you go to AppSumo.com to get with it. Final special shout out to my amazing team. Thank you to Jason at PodcastTech.com. He does all the editing for these shows. Don't hire him away from me or make him too expensive. I'll be mad at you, but I'll be happy for him. Thank you to David, Mitchell, Jeremy, and Jen from the Dork Team for everything y'all do. And final special shout out to Zach Berger, who is new at the AppSumo.com team, helping with the AppSumo Marketplace. It is impressive to see you here on a Sunday working, my man. Thank you for everything you're doing. Have
0: a maté day.
1: What's your favorite? What what are those called? Constellation. What's your favorite?
0: Constellation.